0: Difficult to keep the line between the past and
1: the
2: present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living
1: being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with
2: us!
0: Welcome to The Next Picture Show, a Movie of the Week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it's shaped our thoughts on a new release. I'm Tasha Robinson, here once again with Scott Tobias, Rachel Handler, Keith Phipps, and behind-the-scenes producer Genevieve Kosky. This week we're talking about Battle Royale, Kenji Fukusaku's 2000 horror thriller about teenagers forced to fight to the death by a corrupt and coercive government that wants to keep its citizens frightened and helpless. On the last episode, we talked about the Battle Royale Hunger Games controversy, Battle Royale's camp elements, and how it works as metaphor. This time around, we're going to bring the Hunger Games movies more to the forefront, as Mockingjay Part 2 looms in the immediate future, wrapping up the series that began in 2012 with the first Hunger Games movie, directed by Gary Ross, and starring Jennifer Lawrence, Josh Hutcherson, and Liam Hensworth. Again, as a heads up, none of us have seen Mockingjay Part 2 yet, because it won't screen here in Chicago until two days before its release. So we're talking here about the series as a whole, with everyone in to bring a topic to link the two films. Uh, Keith, you want to start?
3: Let's talk about the style of the, of the films, the Hunger Games series versus Battle Royale, which is uh, interesting. Um, I, I found at times Battle Royale almost played like a like a slasher film, and maybe it's because they were in the, in the woods so much, but there's definitely sort of the things popping out of nowhere to kill you element uh, of it. it. It seemed a little more chaotic, a little more in the middle of the action. I've actually only seen one other Fukusaku film, and and, and that is um, not necessarily one for probably top of his resume. It's called Message from Space, which is a <laughs> 1978 Star Wars ripoff, which is was sort of like neatly, has some, some neat designs to it and is almost totally incomprehensible, but, but really a lot of fun. But it also has this kind of like a lot of the battle scenes are very much like almost like combat footage where you're kind of there in the middle of the action. You're kind of you know, stuck in there. Uh, the point of view is very close to the characters. And I found that style is very consistent with with Battle Royale, however, however different the films are. The Hungry M series is interesting because I think they're all more or less the same style. I think Gary Ross introduces a style that Francis Lawrence improves upon in many ways, which is very handheld, also close to the action, but also things feel very thought out. Tasha used the word cold to describe the want you to think is it appropriate way, yeah for uh,
0: me, there's just this like the this like cold muted color precision to mm-hmm. the whole thing that has become kind of the de facto look of like y a dystopian films like you see it again in the Hunger Games and the host and the Giver, which is a story that it didn't fit in at all, and the divergent movies I mean it's just it it's like people now think that that is the style they have to shoot in yeah. and it feels like it was. Influenced a little bit by Catherine Hardwick's *Twilight*, but that film is so like blue-gray. It's it does a completely different thing with color palette, and it's an even chillier film than this one. This one feels less like physically cold and more just sterile, antiseptic.
3: Yeah, I think it's also a little bit influenced by, and appropriately so, by reality television, where it's the the handheldness of it. But there's also this sort of sense of handheld camera work that's hitting these very precise marks, because it ends on these really nicely you know, striking compositions. I mean, I I like the style of the films, uh, of the Hunger Games films quite a bit. I like the style of Battle Royale too, but they are quite different. And I think, I think those differences play out in, in the way the films work as well.
0: Yeah. I feel like the Hunger Games films are kind of embracing this like paranoid, oppressive aesthetic where they're constantly hitting the point that everybody's being watched at all times. You know, it's much more a, like a paranoid panopticon movie where you have this like oppressive, dystopic thing that's not not just forcing you to do things you don't want to do, but looking at you at all times, and that's something they really push into the foreground in the later films. Whereas Battle Royale, as we kind of commented before, has the idea at the beginning that the society is aware of this, that journalists are embracing it or excited about it, or or at least taking advantage of it, but much less of that sensation of voyeurism and like everything you do. All of your suffering is being enjoyed by outside forces. Scott, what's your take on the style of the Hunger Games films? I don't think they have
2: much of a style. (laughs) Uh, I I don't, uh, I mean, Keith detailed it so well (laughs) that I hate to contradict him. Uh, And I do recall, again, it's been a little bit of time since I've seen the first hunger games it would have been when it came out um but there was the, the 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 scene where the reaping what do they call it the harvest what is the it the reaping
0: yeah the, the reaping.
2: reaping where the where where you do have a little bit of handheld and it's supposed to be in you know coal country and you know a little bit little bit rough but this is gary ross you know and and i, and I also feel like so many of these franchises you know they, they operate more like television than they do film. I don't think they're striking stylistically. I think they establish a template, and that template is followed from one film to the next. And I think what Francis Lawrence does is a little bit different than what Ross does, but I don't think it's much different from you know Lawrence's other films I don't think the look of the film is that much different from Water for Elephants or you know the I Am Legend it was that him I Am Legend with uh, Will Will Smith yes uh, uh yes yeah, so, so I mean it's just got that kind of it's got the usual sort of like sort of DV slickness I don't really see uh, I'm not. I don't find the look of the films striking at all.
3: You wouldn't even call them films, would you? <laughs> no,
2: they're barely films. They're just. They're just. They're just projected television.
1: I do think stylistically that the second two Hunger Games movies are more consistent. I mean, obviously it's the same director, but mm-hmm. I just think that that's noticeable. I think that they're much more sort of darker and both literally and figuratively they're sadder and they're bleaker and the color palette's bleaker. I think you introduced me to the Dystopian YA Novel Twitter account. <laughs> I can't find the tweet that I'm looking for, but there was something about like I'm wearing. My gray tunic like that's become a, a trope and like almost a joke at this point that that's the color palette
0: oh yeah like in the oppressive uh future of why dystopia uh like wearing colors will not be right. permitted that's a really fun twitter by the way
1: it's great yeah
2: well I, th- I think we can also say though that um in terms of the palette of of these films it's it's it it, it differs, from, differs from where you are i mean it's not really a matter of style exactly for me but almost production design you know and, and what the way certain uh, areas are are going to look the way the city's the way the city looks. What do they call the it? Capital. Capital. Like all the city it's like what Syracuse <laughs> or something and then <laughs> the uh, Syracuse and, uh, they call and, it. And, and then in the in the in the districts that they have a different look too and so uh
3: I don't know. I'm just I just wondering if we need to throw down over Gary Ross or not cuz I like I I Gary Ross directed Pleasantville which mm-hmm. is very good. I oh, know he's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sea biscuit which but, is, but, but would you say good. that
2: he's got a strong personal style i think
3: i think pleasantville is a very very attractive looking movie mm-hmm. i don't know what makes it a gary ross film i know we get into that whole thing mm-hmm. but uh, uh fight, but you know fight, it's, fight, quite, fight, it's quite it's quite it's quite accomplished fight, yeah. fight. Well, i like it i like it too gary ross wrote big gary ross, ross wrote dave I like Dave.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, he can write movies that you that like the entire world finds memorable without necessarily being a talented visual stylist in a way that satisfies Scott. I I really do think like from long experience with Scott that Scott has a, a much higher bar for what makes a film cinematic in terms particularly in terms of camera framing than just about any film critic I know.
2: No, I don't know. There are, there are people that are much more ridiculous yes, than Yes, but I, I don't know them. Uh, yes, you only know my ridiculousness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just saying, I uh, like I don't think that his his framing necessarily obviates any of his accomplishments, but I am with Keith on uh, like Pleasantville in particular is just is so memorable visually. And particularly memorable in like what it does with color, what it does with uh, with cinematography.
3: And it's a gray color contrast, just mm-hmm. like in the, the Hunger Games films, yeah. right? So it's I, I an will... authorial stamp. Yeah, <laughs> Gary Ross is an auteur. <laughs> I will
2: say this by way of more Gary Ross bashing. I I, I, I do recall seeing uh, Catching Fire and thinking instantly, like, oh, this is this is in the hands of a better director now. Like mm-hmm. this is like, and, we're, and we're, what was is... it for you? i I think i think it's i think it begins with a scene the the catching fire begins with them in the woods her her and uh one who's not really s- small, the the taller one, Liam Liam Helmsworth, Gail, Gail,
1: the one who's not really small. <laughs> not, not, you, you uh, can no, call we, him Dark Boy and Blonde Boy. Not, not,
2: not Honey Crisp, which is our name for Josh Josh Harrison, <laughs> because he has to stand on apple boxes. <laughs> we call it, we we nicknamed him Honey Crisp. Jennifer and I, I thought it was a pretty good. One. Um, awesome. But uh, I really hope it catches on because it's it's so cute. <laughs> He's like Honey Crisp, right? You look at him now; it's a perfect nickname.
1: Um, <laughs> I hope the one who's not so small catches on. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just
2: gonna start calling him apple person. box <laughs> the one who's not so small that's like a, that's <laughs>
3: like a dystopian YA <laughs> name right there. like in all caps <laughs> right oh she has spoken to the one who is not so small
0: <laughs> it's a terry pratchett character <laughs> name to be fair
2: uh what the hell was i saying well okay so i was saying at the sucks. beginning of of catching fire it's like okay we're in the hands of somebody who who t- technically is a more you know proficient filmmaker because I, I feel like you, you, you get that scene in the woods I think there's like some, some, something happened with the sun a little bit there it's like a very visually striking uh, you know dynamically filmed sequence and uh, you know it's my favorite of the th- three by far uh, I don't know about the rest,
0: of it, Rachel. But. Where do you stand on the great Gary Ross controversy? Like, do you <laughs> wow. actually feel feel a difference between Hunger Games and the other films? I, I do.
1: Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I think I felt the same way. I was, I was. I mean, I, I read all the Hunger Games books. I was kind of iffy about them, but I was excited because Jennifer Lawrence to see the movies. Mm-hmm. I think the first one I was sort of not really impressed by, and then the second, it, the, the further along it got in the series, the more into it I was. And by the third one, I was totally hooked and you know sobbing in the theater. Although it takes nothing for me to cry in a movie, so.
0: Well, there is uh, one big difference I think as the both as the series progresses, and a big difference between Hunger Games and Battle Royale. And Scott, that plays into the topic you wanted to bring up.
2: Uh, that would be violence. <laughs> uh, uh, which, oh, my beloved violence! <laughs> you know, uh, yes, my topic is violence, which I mm, I enjoy violence. <laughs> one big problem I have with Hunger Games. One big problem I have with the Hunger Games movie movies is the violence. I mean, here's a movie about, or a series of movies about a bunch of kids killing each other, and there's hardly a drop of blood in it. It's completely sanitized to get a PG-13 rating. Uh, Battle Royale, on the other hand, uh, fought through bans, censorship, controversy, in order to show how a scenario like that would really play out. You know, and and of course, my problem with Hunger Games is a problem I have with American action movies, Period. Uh, we accept the sanitized, bloodless violence as the norm, and it contributes to a culture that doesn't understand what real violence looks like. You know, so I, I understand, again, it's a commercial thing. They have to, the kids have to come see the, this movie, uh, The Hunger Games. But it's a problem. I mean, it's a problem. And uh, in, in knowing that context, knowing the context of, of what, what our rating system is and what kind of audience they want for these movies, it, it doesn't lessen the fact that, the, that it's wrong for the films. And I think we should really be able to see what kids killing each other looks like.
0: Were the, were the subsequent films in the series also rated PG-13?
2: The subsequent films in... The Hungry M series. Yeah, they're all, none of them are. Because
0: yeah. it just, it seems to me that, like, the series, the source material, the series gets darker and darker mm-hmm. as it progresses. And it feels to me like the films do as well. I associated that partially with the change of directors, but I also just associated with the fact that the first film was such a success. Like, a successful film gives you a lot more leeway to... to Trust your director, to trust your team, to trust that whatever you put in that film people are going to accept. People are, are not going to question it as much or resist it as much. And it seems to me that when the first Hunger Games movie came out there was a pretty big controversy about you know how are they going to handle mm-hmm. kids killing kids on screen. And the answer was let's do it as like decorously and briefly as possible. Especially with the first big massacre. There's just sort of a, an aesthetic field that's like, ah, oh, the camera got bumped and everything's jumbled and a bunch of people died and uh, now let's get to the, the sad, decorous mourning part. So, like It it just seems to me that as the film series has gone on, they've trusted in the violence more. But at the same time, maybe it's not bloodier violence. They figured it
2: out. I mean, it's not you know there are the the roadmap for doing this is already out there. I mean, there are so many PG thirteen rated action movies that you just don't have. You don't just show blood. You don't show any blood. That's it. And then you can do whatever you want.
3: It's worth noting that while Battle Royale was apparently controversial in Japan at the time. Uh, This film was released with the second highest rating, which is R15, which means you had to be 15 to go see it. It was not even the the most restrictive rating you could have for a film. And it's far... More explicit than the Hunger Games. Film, oh yeah, I should say to so. say to say the least. I
1: you. would argue, though, Scott, that it's not necessarily more realistic violence. I think it's very sort of Tarantino-y violence. It's comic booky. I don't know that that's. I mean, I've never killed someone, so I can't <laughs> say for sure. You just stabbed them, but out. right. But when you slice someone's throat, I don't think there's like a geyser of blood. I mean, again, not sure. There's that, blood though, right? Of course, but I think it's it takes it to the opposite extreme. I mean, one sanitized and one's comic booky. I don't think that it's more realistic.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, part of the comic book affect of Battle Royale is people are constantly getting riddled with bullets and their bodies jerk around and they fall oh. on the ground, like covered with blood spots, but there aren't holes in their clothes mm-hmm. or their bodies. There, there's a very few like actual physical effects that are open wounds on people's bodies. Right. For the most part, it's just <laughs> there's blood spattered everywhere. And by the end of the film, everybody just looks like they've been drenched in blood. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel, because it's blood that doesn't necessarily come from a, an obvious source uh except in a few cases where somebody's like throat gets blown open it it makes it feel cartoonier right it's like again it's like metaphor it's a metaphorical blood they're all steeped in metaphorical blood by the <laughs> end of the movie and like who that blood came from from isn't as important right. as kind of the concept of blood and they're
1: also i mean ta- what the when the girls on the hill get shot and then they're like we've always had a crush on you like <laughs> it's not real violence i don't think it's any realer than or than the hunger games is i think it's just a completely different type of violence. No,
2: but it's but there's I'm just saying there's blood. Uh, that, that's ultimately, <laughs> period. What I'm saying. Like, that's uh, all we need. There will uh, be blood. You know, it, it, there's candor there in saying this is our premise and this is what the result of that premise is going to be. And I don't think that the same candor carries over uh, in the Hunger Games.
3: I think the most telling point, it, it, the thing that kind of confirms everything you're saying, is the way the death of Rue is handled in the first Hunger Games film, which is which is you know bloodless and sort of like played as very kind of like you'd see it if you saw it in a TV show or saw it in like a TV show that could air in primetime. Very. You know, it's, it's a sad moment, but there's not nothing that really drives the impact of that home. And yeah, I get it. It's a, it's going to have to be a PG-13 film, but but that's a compromise that's very evident in the film that actually made it to the screen.
0: Well, at the same time, I mean, what does drive the point home? Unless you're a merciless racist, because there were people who, who said they couldn't they couldn't mourn her because she was black, and it just kicked off this insane online controversy because people are idiots. But that aside, and racist idiots too. Ra- yeah, super racist idiots. Um. The what brings it home is Jennifer Lawrence's performance around her death. And, uh, you know, she – I mean, these movies did amazing things for Jennifer Lawrence. They weren't her first films by uh, a long shot, but they really, really boosted her profile as a superstar. And moments like that, like what we're supposed to be feeling in that moment is not, you know, oh, my God, look at this child blown apart. It is what I was talking about when I spoke kind of mockingly of like the decorous, like – You know, sentimental violence. But at the same time, it's a place where what we're being told to feel is some very specific things, both around the loss, you know, rather than the violence. And I think that's one of the things that makes The Hunger Games series so distinctive from Battle Royale, because Battle Royale, we're constantly, like, lingering on the emotion of these individual kids, but all that emotion is so big and outsized and and frenetic. Like, the energy of the two movies is just so completely different.
3: Yeah, but imagine that moment with Jennifer Lawrence's performance and tons of blood. (laughs)
0: I
2: don't like that moment. I don't approve.
0: (laughs) Scott would, in fact, have given that a big thumbs up. Just (laughs) head to toe, like Carrie drenched in blood.
2: Well, one of the points that I was making, though, in the first uh, part of this uh, podcast was how the scenario is made palatable in Battle Royale. And and I think it takes a lot of creativity to, to do it because in that film, it is violent and you are seeing kids blow each other apart and we 're entertained by that somehow, and I feel like the way this does it is just not is just not have violence, like not have true violence and I feel like that 's a pretty uncreative way of doing it, but what you 're saying about about emphasis is is t- totally valid i mean I feel like i'm i 'm coming off pretty negative about about the the, the style free bloodless uh, series when in fact, <laughs> I actually like the Hunger Games, particularly the second um, the movie, you know quite a bit, so uh, i i, I don 't mean to dismiss it entirely because of that but I do feel like that's a fundamental issue that I have with uh, the series
0: but I mean isn't a large part of the Hunger Games series exploring this idea of like voyeuristic enjoyment of violence and the story itself is like looking at the people who who experience this voyeuristic enjoyment of violence as you know shallow shallow people who are part of a corrupt system that needs to be brought down I think there is it, and it's really hard to separate it from because I think you're 100% right about the the commercial choices being made to give the film a PG-13 rating but at the same time if the film was like full of like ghastly bodies being ripped apart and like really trying to double down on the uh, violence and the grotesqueness of the violence mm-hmm. that it would be giving us the voyeuristic things that it's saying that we shouldn't be enjoying I mean it, it feels like that condemnation would become hypocritical if it was also so, like feeding our bloodlust at the same time it was condemning these people for their bloodlust,
2: well, who's it condemning? I mean you you feel like who whose bloodlust is being condemned?
0: Oh, well, everybody in the capital of it sees the death of these teenagers as just as entertainment i mean one of the one of the big tensions in the hunger games story uh is the the tension between the people who are suffering and dying and the people who are seeing it as entertainment and not really taking it not taking it seriously and not feeling the weight of it. I mean, the whole point of the capital as a system is that it's like a bunch of decadent people who are very divorced from the realities of life because everybody else in Pan Am is working to keep them like satisfied and, and rich and, and in the life of luxury and divorced from reality. And all of the districts are specifically being held down by the Hunger Games as a reminder of how little power they have.
2: But I guess I guess my question is is... Are we to take the audience's reaction to what they're seeing differently? I mean, do the, uh, in terms of its value as this bread and circuses thing, do we see the capital, the people in capital seeing it differently from the people in the other districts who might be perfectly excited about their people kind of kind of triumphing and, and excited about people in rival districts not triumphing? I mean, do you see different, do you, do you see uh, those audiences being different? And being distracted in the same way, because that's the whole idea of red circuses, is that is that it distracts you from the fact that you're in this this horrible, you're in this horrible, objectionable
0: totalitarian state. Anybody else want to feel that before I before this becomes a me and Scott? Yeah.
1: I mean, it just sounds like sports to me. Yeah, no, it is.
2: it is. No, we have the NFL. The NFL is
3: basically the Hunger Games. But right.
1: people aren't forced to participate in the NFL. They're they're paid
0: millions of dollars to pay to play in the NFL. Or are they? Oh my God! Have <laughs> no, we, been, we, has Scott but... been enjoying a blood sport this whole time?
2: But we, but we do, but we do uh, accept chronic head injury and right. things like that, uh, just because it's kind of this fun sport that we enjoy.
0: Yeah, I, I don't get that reading of it at all. I mean, I we see the other districts, people in the other districts watching the Hunger Games at various times throughout the series, and they're clearly being compelled to be there at gunpoint. They're clearly watching their the children of their district die on screen. Um, with like an air of of suffering and misery. They're Mm -hmm. watching their children be executed for somebody's enjoyment as a as an indication of how powerless they are. And that, for me, is actually one of the big problems with Battle Royale, is I like the element at the beginning where the, the journalists are showing up and making a circus of the whole thing, because supposedly the reason Battle Royale was created was to punish youth and to tell them to keep in their place. And if the youth of the nation don't know this is happening, like, how do you get there from there?
3: Yeah, I mean, we, that gets down to the whole thing where, where that's part of Battle Royale I, I don't buy. I don't see it as an effective tool for, for keeping the population oppressed, maybe in part because we never really leave the perspective of of the kids or or the island once once they get there. You have the the you have the beginning and a couple of flashbacks, some of which are only in the director's cut apparently. <laughs> uh, but it's a it's a much more fleshed out world in the Hunger Games. And I do ultimately, you know, it's one of those things where if you think about it too much, perhaps it's it's going to fall apart. But I think as long as the film is on, I, I buy that this world works the way it works.
0: Well, a lot of that perspective of of staying within the perspective of the kids on the island is like steeping yourselves in how they feel at every given moment. And Rachel, that was kind of what you wanted to talk about as a topic, was it not?
1: Yeah, I found it really fascinating how, how both movies are ostensibly about teenagers and Battle Royale really feels like it's about teenagers and The Hunger Games doesn't. And that's something I never really noticed until I saw Battle Royale, just how, I mean, obviously you have adults playing teenagers in The Hunger Games, which is part of the problem, but I also think that they're not really they don't act like teenagers they're they're sort of incredibly competent most of the time and I know they have training and all of that but it just feels like they sort of accept their fates for the most part yeah there's a little bit of romance thrown in and yeah there's some you know moments where they're a little bit ridiculous but for the most part they're very much just sort of really into it and sort of ignoring the fact that uh, ignoring their hormones and emotions whereas in Battle Royale the feelings are the whole point the feelings Mm -hmm. are front and center they're being murdered and they're confessing their love for each other you know this girl's dying on a hill and she's telling uh, Noriko is telling Shuya that she's jealous that those girls who are now dead, just confess that they had a crush on him. I mean, it's absurd. And, like, the the young girls who are in the lighthouse killing each other, that type of thing. I think that's – it's so funny and it's so – awkward and it's so self-aware I mean it, it is basically being a teenager that movie is being a teenager in all of its glory um, and the Hunger Games just isn't
3: I, I think it makes sense though because the, it, the Hunger Games is about people who grew up in, in this world and like we're always living that way and part of the, the humor of Battle Royale comes from the fact this is this is they're thrown in the situation one day after just being high schoolers and and you know all these dramas that were already that were already in progress when they were in high school just play out in this really heightened arena which I, to me I think is where much of the humor of that film comes of, of battle royale comes from
2: yeah I'm, well, that's exactly the point i was going to make as well keith is just uh is that um you're just dealing with two different sets of kids basically because you know in in you know these kids in battle royale or in high school they, they perhaps come from more privileged or decadent not not quite decadent but maybe more privileged backgrounds uh they they are in the middle uh you know cliques that that and and, and rivalries and you know and uh love sicknesses that that, that existed uh, before they enter the arena are there are, are very much present and a factor when they enter the arena uh but in the, the hunger games you know the, those are all none of none of the kids from the cap capital are are fighting that fight uh the kids who are who are fighting the fight are live in districts where where they don't have food where they live a very austere life where survival is uh day-to-day is paramount um so i think that Makes sense that they don't necessarily act like teenagers
1: two points to make so one i think is that what we were talking about earlier which is the way that we're introduced to battle royale is we're introduced to a world where that does happen and it's it is covered and that is part of part of their existence and they also are living in sort of a dystopia which is what we're introduced to in the in the beginning you know there's unemployment and everybody's riding and stabbing their teachers in the butt <laughs> and you know nothing's going well for them you know they they live in a dystopia too it's different but it's still a dystopia so then Alternately, the Hunger Games, there are different districts and each of them have different forms of or levels of affluence. Um, Some of them have very, quote unquote, normal lives. Some of them are eating, you know, and then forcing themselves to throw up and then eating again. So, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) is that happening outside the Capitol? I don't remember. Just the Capitol. But still, I mean, the point is that I think that there's more similarities to those to those worlds than than you might believe. But I do think that I mean, I get what you're saying, but I just think it's thinking about the Hunger Games now. I just find that I think it's sort of a weakness that they don't let the teenagers be sort of ridiculous sometimes I just that's well
0: I mean a lot of the, the thematic point of the Hunger Games series is that that Katniss Everdeen specifically cannot afford to have emotions mm-hmm. cannot uh, she, because of the world she's living in she can't give into her own love for Gail she can't give into I mean she gives into her love for her sister and it nearly kills her about a million times over and it upends her entire society there's such a thread running through it of she's so traumatized but she can't just curl up and be traumatized because she's mm. got to be a leader. She can't love the person she loves. She has to pretend to love somebody else and on and on and on. And I think what's, what's interesting and kind of fun and kind of crazy about Battle Royale is the sense that they can afford to have their emotions. And right. in fact, they can't afford not to have their emotions because they're about to die. So there's so much like packing so many things that they didn't say i one of those stranger moments in the film is the the confession the guy that uh uses his tracking device to go to his crush object and she promptly shoots him (laughs) and he's like oh well i always loved you and she's like how was i supposed to know that you never said anything and there's so many moments like that which by the way is a big big staple of anime I've seen it in Japanese dramas, but way more so in anime dealing with teenagers, that, do you like anybody? Like, that specific sentence, like, do you like anybody? Do you have a crush on anybody right now? Like, just seems to be a staple of the genre. So, like, seeing here, seeing it played out here in these big operatic moments, like... I just I think it's it's such a difference between the two in terms of like what people feel they're allowed to do with their emotions.
2: You know what I, I will say though uh, thinking about it Katniss is definitely a te- is a teenager. I, she's definitely a teenager. I mean I and I, it maybe came through a little bit more strongly for me in the books than the movie but but there's constant uncertainty, there's constant mixed emotions, there there's there's kind of this swirl of just of 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 calculation and also and also feeling you know with regard to with regard to the sort of love triangle that she's in the middle of so i, I feel like that i feel like that is amplified in a, in a very teenagery kind of a way even even though it's not as playful i guess is mm-hmm. or or as silly or, or or they don't screw you know she doesn't screw up quite as much as as uh teenagers tend to but uh but i think they that, that that kind of feeling of that she's a little bit unformed that she's that she's dealing with a, with a lot of emotions that she's in this love triangle i feel feel like that's a big hook to that to those books beyond you know this dystopian world that it's trying to set up so in that sense perhaps it's a little bit teenager-y
1: I agree in the book she definitely reads as a teenager i, I don't know that it translates to the film as much maybe it's just hard to separate jennifer lawrence from katniss sometimes because she i mean even though she's sort of this jocular figure in the media i think she does seem very sort of wise beyond her years and and hyper competent so maybe that's part of it too but i don't know that the that that inner monologue is really translated as much in the films
0: rachel since this is your topic I'm, i'm curious what you make of how the two films handle trauma because like one of the things I said kind of in the intro was uh, Battle Royale feels to me like much more about the immediate human cost of all of this violence, whereas like The Hunger Games kind of explores it over a long period of time, but in a very different way. And I'm sort of curious what you make of the contrast there.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's very little, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's a lot of emotional trauma that occurs in Battle Royale. I mean, if, if anything, the emotions like we talked about are very much about like lust and feelings for each other and there's no it doesn't appear that there I mean I think Shuya cries a few times when people die which is every time he got upset I was like why are you upset again like you know this is what's happening (laughs) I was gonna like get over it dude um (laughs) but yeah you're right in the Hunger Games there's a lot of time spent on just sort of her mental state and her mental health and there's really no regard for anyone's mental health in Battle Royale.
3: I think there's also an element of you know kind of societal trauma that feeds into these films too. Or where, where Battle Royale uh, was the, you know produced in the middle of, of Japan's what came what came to be known as Japan's lost decade, which was the 1990s on into the early 21st century, where here was a nation that was kind of poised to take over the world economically in the 1980s, and then and then the economy stagnated. And you know this first Hunger Games film came out in 2008, the year which is the year of our own economic collapse, but. At the end of a long period of, of economic uncertainty, the, you know, the the war, the dot, dot com burst. I think that, you know, a certain amount of of, of an instability kind of feeds into, uh, you know, inspires these sorts of sorts of fictions and allows them to thrive.
0: I mean, all that makes me think of is the degree to which like the Hunger Games kind of feels like an answer to the Occupy movement and like how far away the story has come from that like it the first one really kind of felt like it was rooted in the politics of its time and as we get further and further away from that it feels more and more like an abstract war story to me
1: yeah I agree I was thinking the same thing with it feels like it originally set out to be sort of a commentary on on our current day and then it just sort of wandered away from that and now it's not really saying much of anything about the current political moment that we're in
2: but it will
1: That's (laughs) that's that's the thing about
2: the about the Hunger Games is that it's such a riff on how totalitarian systems have worked throughout history, that I, that it will be applied. It may not be something we can apply to a situation in the world in in 2015, but it, but at some point, <laughs> they're they're gonna you know we're gonna see some society and think, man, Hunger Games got that. Got that right
0: <laughs> well, if uh, mocking j part two in any way involves uh, drones or drone cameras everybody 's going to say it 's all about drone strikes because that it feels like that 's been like for the past ten years that 's what every movie has been quote unquote secretly about, <laughs> and uh, I feel like we've we 've said all we need to say about drone strikes specifically via like y a dystopic fantasies um just briefly I, it's I think it's worth talking about uh, the, my my theoretical topic was just sort of like the YA genre and like how it's changed since these movies and how it's changed as in part as a result of these movies I do feel that we're seeing an awful lot of movies these days that are like violent dystopias about uh, young people overturning uh, oppressive regimes because the Hunger Games were such big bestsellers that a whole bunch of other people wrote stories like that and many of them are also becoming movies which is where you're getting your I mean I think The Giver finally got made after Jeff Bridges trying to make it for more than a decade because somebody said yeah if you kind of squint and cock your head to the side I guess we could find a way to make it about teenagers fighting a like dystopic oppressive regime instead of what the book's really about um but it does seem to me like we're finally kind of clearing the the leading edge of that wave and we're finally starting to get more and more stories about teenagers that aren't about uh, teenage heroes fighting in a depressive landscape um i'm curious whether any of that the wave that followed hunger games like hit home for you whether you think any of these like make for good movies or good stories
3: I've largely avoided it in <laughs> part because, uh, you know, it was a matter of me not grabbing the review. We were assigning reviews and then and not hearing great things about it. Um, I feel like I should catch up. I feel like I should catch up with the Divergent series because it's filmed here in post-apocalyptic <laughs> Chicago. Have been
1: shaking her head violently. You know, you know,
3: that we watched one hour, be able to hour of Divergent. And I was like,
1: I must stop.
2: Well, I, I would be I mean, based on I, again, a Divergent would be the only one I I have seen and could could comment on. But uh, Divergent will definitely show you how good the hunger games is (laughs) in terms of just in terms of just laying out the world and making sense of the world because the world of divergent and the way the whole thing works is beyond dumb (laughs) Uh, so uh so in in that sense the hunger games is much more thoughtfully laid out uh you know whereas divergent is this very strange nonsensical no government could ever work this way kind of system that's all built around the possibility of a chosen one type Who is a divergent, right? Isn't it called? All right. Anyway, yeah, I would actually say I would argue for for maybe checking out a couple of the other YA films just as a way to appreciate (laughs) what the Hunger Games does, right?
0: (laughs) I mean, Divergent is uh, a slightly fun film to watch if you're in Chicago, like we all are, because so much of it was shot in Chicago, and it's like much like the third Transformers movie. It's been plastered over with CGI so heavily that it's almost unrecognizable. But like, there's still the bones of that city there. But yeah, like narratively, I I thought the first film was a mess, and I well, I, think, gone back I think the, to the best thing ones. about
2: Divergent is that it, it just destroys Navy Pier. <laughs> <laughs> Navy Pier is just wiped out.
3: I like I like the IMAX, I like Chicago Shakespeare Theater. Are these, you know, the Paris what about bu- bubba gum shrimp? <laughs> I, I haven't eaten that. What about the McDonald's that looks like kind of a Roman McDonald's? <laughs> yeah. I
1: think the best thing about Divergent is it accurately reflects the dystopia that is Chicago, like we were just talking about. <laughs>
2: yeah, where they, where they don't screen this, movies p- on TV. This place would
0: not be such a dystopia if you would stop running around stabbing people in the butt, <laughs> Rachel. I
1: can't help it. It's my calling. <laughs>
0: okay. We. I'm we've... a
1: Divergent. Okay.
0: <laughs> Alright, well when uh when the battle royale scenario happens, I wanna be on your team as <laughs> we'll long see. as you as you have teams going, but I'm not turning my butt on you at any point. <laughs> my God. Uh, all right. <laughs> Mocking J Part two opens wide in American release on November twentieth, and if the other installments in the series are any indication, it'll be in theaters for quite a while to come. So you'll have plenty of opportunities to see whether it follows in the footsteps of the predecessors we've discussed here. The first three Hunger Games movies are streaming on Amazon, with the second and third free for Prime members, and they're all on DVD Blu-ray. Uh, Battle Royale is streaming on Netflix, on Amazon Video, and many other pay services, and it's available on DVD or in a massive four-disc Blu-ray set from Anchor Bay. Keith, would you recommend that as an owner of that set?
3: I don't have the, I don't have the set. I just have the single Blu-ray.
0: Oh, but the single Blu-ray apparently has the uh, director's cut full of footage that none of the rest of us <laughs> have seen.
3: That I may have just made up. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, we highly recommend everybody buys that and uh, find out whether Keith is telling the truth. Finally, it's time to catch each other up on films or film-related items we've seen in the interim since our last podcast. We're calling this segment Your Next Picture Show in the hopes that it will put some interesting choices on your radar. Keith you want to kick us off what in the film world has been good for you
3: lately I don't want to break format but I haven't really seen that much lately that I I, would, I want to bring into the table to recommend but lately
0: I, is a very broad
3: thing. well in the last year or so I watched the film that kind of relates to this which is called Over the Edge uh, which is a 1979 uh, drama directed by Jonathan Kaplan who's otherwise best known for the, the making the accused uh, but it's filmed in like sort of suburban Colorado and it is about unattended youth and the trouble they get into just kind of wandering around and not having good parental role models and it starts off as you know fairly fairly unnerving film and it goes to some very strange extreme places not quite battle royale level extreme uh but definitely um something to recommend a good another with if Lindsay anderson's if another good pairing for battle royale or the hunger games i guess and it features a young matt dylan and and some uh some fine songs by uh, cheap trick on the soundtrack
0: i have not seen it have either of you guys Mm-mm. no Hmm. All right, so we all that's need a to take wrap, a, Keith's recommendation. Yeah, all that's right. a deep cut. Scott, what do you have for us?
2: I have a film called James White. James White is a film that is directed by Josh Mond. It's his first film, but he is part of the Borderline Films Collective, uh, which includes uh, Antonio Campos, who did After School, and um, Simon Killer, and Sean Durkin, who did Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Uh, this is his first film. It's a very personal film. It's about kind of the screw-up who's just getting over uh, the death of his father, who's been kind of absent, but uh, his mother, who has had cancer before, she relapses, and he has to sort of take care of her. And uh, he leads a very irresponsible sort of hedonistic lifestyle. He has kind of this f- fight-or-flight response to this very difficult situation. And uh, and he kind of goes through with it, and it's it's, it's done with... Great austerity and intensity. I mean, he, the borderline films guys definitely have that Michael Haneke influence, and this is sort of like their amour. I guess would be the comparable thing, <laughs> but the, but but it's much. It's not nearly as cold as a it's 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 as honest as a but it's very very emotional and uh and Christopher Abbott, who people know from girls he's he's the lead and he's 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 basically he's a young Marlon Brando i mean he's a young he's got that bruised masculinity and it's just, it's a heartbreaking film I it absolutely just crushed me and I think it's got a lot of integrity and you know I know people kind of shy away from cancer narratives or shy away from things that are hard to watch, but I think it's very much worth
0: going
1: through because it's a, just a, a
2: great movie.
0: <laughs> Scott Tobias always going for the trauma. Rachel.
1: So I just interviewed uh Lake Bell for Up Rocks. Oh, no. shout out for Keith right there. I heard um, good things
0: about this Up Rocks.
1: Right? Hm. She was delightful. Um and I for to to interview her I watched her movie which is coming out in the US this weekend, so November 13th. Man Up. It's a rom-com. It's oh, British. I saw that at uh Tribeca. I thought it was just charming as hell it's uh it's an all british cast except for her and she does an impeccable british accent and i don't know if you guys have seen the show catastrophe on amazon Mm -hmm. uh, um rob delaney and uh sharon horgan but sharon horgan plays uh lake bell's sister and she's fantastic and it was just very exciting to see her in a movie and it's just like a cute little you know very self-aware rom-com it's very earnest it's very very funny it doesn't really try to undermine the genre at all or or sort of change anything about it it's just a straight rom-com it's really good It's kind of rare that you find just like a really great rom-com. It's about a woman named Nancy who meets Simon Pegg uh, by accident when she pretends to be his blind date, also by accident, and hilarity ensues. Um, It was just very charming and delightful. Yeah, co-signed.
0: I am not a rom-com fan at all, um, and I went to see that because I was, I was just curious, and I really like Lake Bell. I really mm-hmm. like Simon Pegg, and it really surprised me. Yeah, it, me too. It's one of those films that kind of walks an interesting line between playing with the genre and playing it straight, mm-hmm. and it's like a really rare rom-com. Mm-hmm. That it's, that setup is super, super gimmicky, it's but the film so, doesn't yeah. feel gimmicky. No,
1: it doesn't, and the writing is really good. It's written by Tess Morris, a woman. and um, I just yeah I thought I went in thinking oh this is gonna be so like cheesy and silly and you know it was silly but it was it was just adorable I loved it and like Belle's amazing it's
2: good to see movies that are actually worthy of her now because there's there's like the longest time where it's like man she's the best thing about over her dead body (laughs) (laughs) um but what about you, Tasha? What would you like? Uh, what do you have to recommend?
0: I'm actually going to recommend uh, the Peanuts movie, which I saw in the theaters. And that movie has has kind of gotten a, a rough road to hoe. Like the, the reviews of that have been a little bit mixed, and I've gotten into it on Twitter with a few people, including uh, our old AV Club intern, Kevin McFarlane, who's now a writer at Wired and who... <laughs> hated that movie for reasons that normally would be triggers for me. Like the fact that it's all about this sad sack who can't talk to a girl and how he can win her through like doing cool things around her. There are a bunch of ways you could pick this movie apart sort of conceptually and none of them bothered me because in the end it's a movie about Charlie Brown You know, it's a movie about these characters that have been so familiar for so long that are so much part of the culture. And I was really dreading going in and and having like an Alvin and the Chipmunks experience, you know, because it's they've CGI'd the or or, uh, an experience like the new Muppet show where they're trying so hard to like sex it up and make drug jokes and make it edgy. I was expecting something like that. And what I got was something that could have come out on TV in the 1970s, except that it's it's visually beautiful in the manner of a twenty fifteen c g i film. They're so respectful to the tone of the classic things that people our age grew up with. They're so respectful to the characters and they're really respectful to Charles Schultz's art. I think it's fascinating how they created these like three d rounded uh c g i characters, but then they used Schultz's lines just throughout the art especially in drawing their faces animation wise it's a really really interesting hybrid and narratively it's just it's a really cool like throwback to things that i have fond memories of Am I the only person that's seen this movie? I,
3: don't, I think I'm going to see it this weekend. Yeah, I I, I'm, I'm, I'm I was,
2: interested. I was, I a, you to seem kind, really, more than me. Yeah, no.
3: I, mean, I when I heard good, when I read the reviews, I kind of like Phew, because I want to take my daughter <laughs> to it. I don't want to take her to a bad peanuts thing. I want to like I want to like her to like peanuts, you know.
2: Well, and I think it's a relief to hear you say that you like it because I think you, like myself, have a kind of a blue sky studios allergy, right? Mm-hmm, and they're yeah. the one, they're, they did Ice Age and then Rio and those type of movies, which are just these really sort of bright garish, you know, star voice filled joke fests. Very vaguely and, shrill, unpleasant. Yeah, ones. and it, which seems so off for the pe- for what Peanuts is at its core, but you're saying thats that they've got it right.
0: Well, here's the other thing. Like, longtime uh, friend of all of us, Noel Murray, I think, like, pegged the Ice Age movies in a way that I'd never understood before he, he wrote about how, essentially, those movies are about a bunch of, like, 40-something dad types that's that right. are worried about, like, yeah. whether they're still cool. And, <laughs> n- like, you you get all of this, like, thing with Scrat the squirrel running around that's aimed at, like, four-year-olds, and then you get this narrative about, <laughs> you know, am I aging, balding movie executive, still a cool dude? And, you know, Noel was always just like, what, what exactly does this have to say to children? The Peanuts movie is a movie for children. It's a movie that I think parents can appreciate on a nostalgic level but it's not constantly firing jokes over the kids heads the two of you who have small girls like i am so curious what you make of the film and i'm also super super curious what the kids make of the film so i'm really hoping that we can hear about that at some point
3: well my daughter liked hotel transylvania too so yeah they liked everything (laughs) i I can pretty much tell you that they're
2: gonna like it
0: That's it for this week's edition of The Next Picture Show. We'd love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion on Battle Royale, the Hunger Games series, or both, and what you'd like to see from this podcast going forward. We want to include your thoughts on future episodes of the show. You can leave a short voicemail at 773-234-9730 or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. In the meantime, where can we find everyone these days, Rachel?
1: Uh, My Twitter is at Rachel underscore Handler. And I'm writing in a lot of places. I'm writing at UpRox, uh, Vanity Fair, Vulture. I was writing at Grantland, RIP. <laughs> yeah, well, until in, there's a, there's even
0: more Rachel Keith. Where can we find you?
3: Uh, mostly at UpRox these days, where I'm editing and and writing there. I had a big piece in The Verge about midnight movies a couple weeks ago that that people good might stuff. enjoy checking out. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's it. and piece. I'm on Twitter at KFIPS 3000
2: uh, I'm at at Scott underscore Tobias. Uh, I'm writing for. Uh, NPR, Variety, New York Times, Washington Post, Rolling Stone, Oscilloscope, et cetera. So a bunch <laughs> of places.
0: I'm on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. and You can find my work at NPR, The Verge, and a lot of other places. Like Scott, I'm kind of all over these days. Um, you can stay updated on The Next Picture Show via Twitter at Next NextPicturePod or by visiting NextPictureShow.net. Thanks again to Genevieve Kosky for producing the show. You can find her on Twitter at at Genevieve Kosky. And thanks to FilmSpotting for all their help, input, and support. We hope you'll tune in next time when we'll be talking about Pixar's latest animated story, The Good Dinosaur, and we'll go back to the beginning of Pixar with the company's first feature, 1995's Toy Story. Remember, you've got a friend in us.